As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me, we'll be this morning in James chapter 3. You'll even see the page number there in your bulletin if you're using a, a pew Bible. We'll be in James chapter 3. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, you say in your Psalms, and now we join with these words as we ask, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, this is our desire. Would you do that work in us? Would you use your spirit now to press your word upon our hearts, open our minds to see and our hearts to believe that we would trust and obey you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take this morning uh, these first verses of James chapter 3. We'll be taking up the first 12 verses here. Uh, so this is James in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of God. Now, if you've been with us these past several weeks, or if you've just read uh, chapter 2 of James in the past, you know that in the previous verses, prior to the ones uh, we've just read here, James spends a long time focusing on and writing about the theological issues of God's law, of justification, 
and how faith without works is dead. And so to cross now into chapter 3 might seem, especially if we put it right up next to chapter 2 as it's meant to be read, might seem like a total change of pace. There's just a big shift here. Suddenly, we're now on the topic of our mouths and, and the sorts of things we say. You know, where, where did that come from? Uh, but there's a, a logical connection here. James has spent all this ink prior establishing how while the Christian is declared righteous by faith in Jesus alone, and that's true and unchanging for a Christian, declared righteous by faith in Jesus alone, that living faith that declares us righteous will also display righteousness in our lives through our works. So in other words, good works are the God-given outcome of God's saving grace to us. The works are the product of grace and not the cause of grace. So now in chapter 3, James isn't shifting gears. He's not totally changing ideas. He's going in the, in the same way. He's continuing this topic now to its logical expression. He's moving from the theological now to the practical, that our living faith produces good works, and one of those main good works is good words that our words are one of the primary expressions of our works. And this is more than just, you know, a little Aesop's fable, a little moral lesson about how you should talk nice. You can get those sorts of things from kids' books. There's a lot of kids' books about those things, and a lot of them are great, and they even have pictures. But that's not what's happening here. At least there's a lot more going on than just this. In many ways, when I stand up in front of you to preach, all I want to do is talk about Jesus. That's all I want to do. (laughs) And uh, I want to be like Paul in some small sense that when he says, "I, I preach Christ crucified, And even though Jesus is not directly mentioned in this text in a roundabout way, that is what's happening here in the text we've just read. We know that by Jesus' life and death and resurrection, God the Father has now put all things under the feet of his son Jesus. He has made Christ the king over everything. Which means that for the Christian, Jesus is now both our Savior and our Lord. That as Savior, because of his cross, he's taken away the guilt of the sin. That the wrath, the punishment for sin was put upon him and is no longer upon us. But he's more than just a Savior. He's our our Lord. That when he steps out of the tomb, he has taken away not just the guilt of sin, but the reign of sin that he now has dominion over all things, and his dominion is to be increasing over all of our lives. Which means that mature Christians, growing Christians, want to lean into Jesus' lordship. It's not that we're moving on past the basic things. 
You know, we've outgrown it. Now we get to the real good stuff. We're not moving past Jesus. We're moving deeper into Jesus so that we would submit our lives to his lordship and he would really be our personal king. Now, having said that, the particular part of our lives that James now wants to see Christ's lordship over is in the area of our tongue. That's what this is about. He's going to push on our tongue. This is going to be fun, right? Easy, simple stuff. Don't you stick your tongue out at me. Uh, You know, I'll be frank and say, this text has made me squirm all week. So now I get to pass that squirminess on to you. There's lots of really good things here. Let's dive in. Here's where we're going. We're going to wrestle with three questions this morning. The questions are these. What is the issue? Why is it an issue? And how do we deal with the issue? As he talks about the tongue, what is the issue? Why is it an issue? And how do we deal with the issue? Let's do the first. What is the issue here in regard to the tongue? James in this section is full of analogies. He puts a bunch at the beginning and a bunch at the end. He says here that a a tongue, our tongue is like the bit to a horse. It's like the rudder to a ship. It's like a campfire to a forest. And I don't think I need to explain uh, what he means here. Many of you know these things, these aspects, things better than I do. You know what James is getting at here, that there's a small part. And that small part has a really huge influence. that even though our tongue is small, it is powerful. And it can be easy to forget that, at least for me, maybe also for you, easy to forget how powerful it is because speech is just so common. It's part of our every days. It's often part of our every hours, even every minute. We, we may not use bridles or bits or rudders of ships every day or even ever in our lives, but we will speak every day or almost every day. And we say a lot more words than we think. I did a little bit of research. Uh, one study shows that the average adult says 16 thousand words a day. 16,000. Some of you quieter types are going, not me. (laughs) I say six. Uh, Does that count words in our heads? Okay, yeah, I know that this is an average, but even you quieter ones, I'd be willing to bet you say more words than you think. Okay, according to this study, similar men and women, about the same, roughly 16,000 words a day, which means that because words are so prevalent, they're so ingrained and so natural in a good way to us, it's easy to think of them as just words. They're just words. That's not the case. Our words carry far more weight than we realize. 
in Proverbs, uh, one proverb says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Another one says, rash words are like sword thrusts, but wise words bring healing. You see how radically different the outcomes can be just by a change of words. I know that not all words carry the same weight. You know, of the 16,000 words, there's probably a lot of the in there, a lot of an, a lot of and. You know, and so there's some words that just are kind of carrying along the rest. But let's, let's assume, just for argument's sake, that, that one in a thousand words you say are significant. I bet it's more than that, but let's just be, you know, cautious. One in a thousand, that means that every day you give 16 sword thrusts or 16 doses of healing. Every day with just your words alone. One of the main issues in James, however, is not just that the tongue can be a sword thrust or healing, not just that it can be death or life and it can go one way or another and we need to be careful. That's true in some sense. James is pointing out that, that our tongues tend more toward the death side of things. So he highlights here not only the power of the tongue, but the danger of it because our tongues are naturally corrupt. I mean, if we, we just scan through and pull out the little phrases, the ways he describes our tongue, it's not pretty. The tongue is a, is a world of unrighteousness. It's a fire set by hell. It's untamable and restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. In saying these things, he's not just talking about a few particular tongues, you know, those really wicked, spitting, forked tongues. He says, the tongue. That is, this is the tendency of every tongue when it is untamed. So just by way of example, as I was sitting with this text this week, kind of preparing for this Sunday, I happened to be sitting next to two sweet ladies None of you, I did not know these people, okay, uh, who, were, who were sharing a cup of coffee together, and I couldn't help but overhear what they were talking about at one point, and one just began to kind of give all this petty picking apart of someone else who wasn't there in the room. And I realized as I was listening to it that I could start to feel the effect of the poison of her words that I was starting to feel an aversion toward this person she was talking about that I don't even know. Uh, this toxic effect was, was more than just toxic for me as someone who overheard by accident. It was toxic for me, toxic to the person who was listening to her at the time who she was speaking with, toxic to the woman who was speaking herself as she was ingraining these things, and toxic to the person who was being criticized and wasn't even in the room. which means that with one sword thrust, that person struck four people, at least. And you know what's even worse than that? Huh. 
had I not been reading this very text at the time, pondering it, wrestling with what James was saying, I might not have even given her words a second thought. That is, her words might have stung me with their poison, stuck in me even, left their barb in me, and I would not have realized it. And the toxin would have been working itself through and in me while I was unaware. Oi. The issue here is that there is no such thing as just words. The tongue is a very powerful and probably poisonous thing. Now, question two. Why is this an issue? (laughs) Well, we can see why it's an issue. I hope you can feel the tension of it. But where does it come from? Why is this an issue? James tells us here that the tongue is connected to the whole body. That's true. But we can even be more specific than that. You know, the reason why this is an issue and why the tongue is so powerful, even though it's small, is because there is a direct line connecting our tongue to our heart. There's a direct line connecting our tongue to our heart. It hits at the very core of who we are. That's also the reason why God cares so much about our words. Jesus has a tiff, I guess if I can call it that, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, where he calls some people brood of vipers. Hmm. And then after that, uh, he says these words, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is, those 16,000 words that you say today do not just come from your mind or your ideas, they come from your heart. From your, from your very being. Which means, have you ever said something, something not great, said something, and then later came back and said, I didn't mean that? This would say, yes, you did. Yes, you did mean that. At least in the moment you meant it. Your words came from your heart. And you might say, well, I didn't mean it that way. You know, you misunderstand me. And maybe there's some miscommunication, of course, that happens from time to time. But we need to own that every time we speak, we mean to say something. You know, there are no accidental words with no ownership at all. It's not as if words are floating around in the air and sort of fall out of our mouths. They come from our hearts. Even, even the words that we don't think much about. Perhaps especially the ones we don't think about. As after Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, he says this next. 
The good person out of the good tre- out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Then he says, "I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak." Ooh. So we're not just talking about the mean words here. Not just the rude words. Not just the cutting words or the petty nitpicky words. Even the careless words, the flippant, empty, idle words that seem to mean nothing. That is, the words we say when our guard is down probably reveal the most about who we really are. So it's not as if the judgment of God is nitpicky here that he's, he's going for a gotcha. Ooh, I've been waiting for that slip of the tongue, and now I've got it. And mark it down. You know, he's in bad shape. We are being judged because of our careless words, because they indicate who we are. Do you see now why the Christian leans everything on Jesus? Everything. Our sin is that rooted, that prevalent. We desperately need Jesus to save us from the guilt of sin, but we also want him to transform us from the inside out so that this doesn't carry on in our, throughout our Christian lives. If it's really true, and it is, if it's really true that we speak out of the abundance of the heart, we know then that it doesn't resolve it to just watch your mouth. You know, bite your tongue. That's not going to fix it. That only means that those same words are now just boxed up inside in your heart. So it's sort of like sticking your finger in a, in a dam. You can only do that for so long. We know, of course, it's better in some ways to keep, to keep all sorts of corrupting talk from our lips. You know, if, if we at least keep it from our lips, maybe we avoid uh, getting the poison out. Maybe you strike one person instead of four if we can constrain it in some way. But if the heart still remains corrupted, the poison remains there. And it needs to be sucked out of us like the venom of a viper. Now, that brings us to our third and final question, which is, how do we deal with this issue? If we're going to get at the heart, the internal part of things, that's something only faith in Jesus can accomplish. There's nothing you can work your way into that. The heart must be changed. Heart of stone taken out, heart of flesh put in. That can only happen by Jesus. So that's an internal component. But we should not ignore the external matters of the tongue either. This seems to be what James is getting at, the external expressions. There are so many sins of the tongue named in Scripture. I sat down to just jot a few that I could come up with. Quick list. Here's what I came up with. Sins of the tongue. Lies, idle chatter, flattery, wrong judgments, grumbles, gossip, backbiting, coarse jesting, rumors, crudeness, vain boasting, obscenity, blasphemy, I could go on. And that doesn't even count the sorts of things that we ought to have said and didn't. 
When James says here then that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, he's not kidding. Now, of all of the areas of sins of the tongue that James could address, he focuses on two particular ways in which he thinks, and he's right, that we need to tame the tongue. Two ways in particular, and they are these, teaching and in cursing, he says. Teaching and cursing. We could talk about lots of others, but he speaks of those, so we'll stick to those, and that will carry us on. Let's do teaching first. He mentions it in verse 1. Let me read verse 1 to you again. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's the kind of verse that makes me swallow my gum as a teacher. Gives me a bit of knee knee knocking. There was an old Scottish preacher, uh, John Knox. We heard from his prayer of uh, confession earlier, just a bit ago. He said this, I've never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. I get that. It It is frightening to step up here in front of you. And that's not just because it's hard to do public speaking, although in some sense that is kind of hard. (laughs) And it's not even just because I fear the greater judgment of God, although there is something to that. It is is knee-knocking to me because I know that my words here as a teacher on behalf of God bear weight. I know that as I speak these things, I am handling the very word of God. And that is chilling because of its sheer power. There is so much danger, if I do not stick very close to this, of leading you and myself astray. James then cautions against this. There are some people, even ones who call themselves Christians, who are drawn to the teaching role, perhaps because of the power, because of the respect, maybe because of the influence that might come with it, but we should be extra cautious that we're actually hearing God's word and not just the opinion of man. Paul warns Timothy of this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, just a couple of verses. He says, listen to this. 1 Timothy 1, verse 6, he says, Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. There are a bunch of people, in other words, he's saying, who who are teachers of the law, and they don't know what they're talking about. Confidence does not equal truth. 
These people that Paul warns Timothy about were very confident in their assertions, and yet he also says they don't really understand what they're saying. Now, even though Paul and James here in our section is talking specifically about religious teachers here, I think it's fitting to the scripture here to to make a broader application as well, that it's not only applied to religious teachers. We need to take great care. Listen to me. Great care when you cross into the realm of teaching. I don't mean if you're getting in front of a schoolroom. I mean sometimes when we're crossing into the realm of teaching without realizing it. When you begin to give free advice. Sometimes the things we share on Facebook. Sometimes the things we say in conversation are modes of teaching. And if we're not careful, we can pass along things that are not true, things that are misunderstood, and we do it with confident assertion. That is dishonoring to Jesus. If we assume the role of teacher, if you're assuming the role of teacher, you need to also realize that you're taking on the mantle that carries with it greater strictness of judgment as well. So think twice before you speak as a teacher. That's one area he wants us to focus on, teaching. Last and final area, cursing. One way in which we need to tame the tongue is in the area of cursing. He says this in verse 10, James does, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And when I hear the word cursing, maybe it's just my background or upbringing, I don't know, it might be different for you. When I hear the word cursing, I usually think of foul language. You know, as if there's a a list somewhere in the Bible of the bad words that you're not supposed to say. And we all kind of know what those words are. Most of those sorts of words, those things that we call bad words, are what the scripture would call obscene talk. And we do want to keep those things out of our mouths, but that's not what James has in mind here when he talks about cursing. Cursing here is the opposite of blessing. Cursing in this context is to call upon the judgment of God. That is to condemn a thing or perhaps a person. Scripture uses words for these like hell, and damn. And if there's little kids in the room of a certain age, they giggle a little bit when I say the both of those. Hell and damn, those are deadly serious words. And we want to be diligent not to let those things become careless words in our mouths. That's a a curse. And even if we don't have those words in our mouths, we know that this is more than just avoiding a couple of buzzwords and think we're good and not cursing anyone. If if cursing is calling condemnation, this involves the way we speak about and even in some way treat other people. So we might curse someone we know without realizing we're cursing them by condemning them. 
sometimes, more often sometimes, we curse people we don't know. Famous people, people on TV, politicians. Jesus' response is very different than to have blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. His call to us generally is, bless those who curse you. That is, even if they condemn you, you respond with blessing. This is how James deals with the tongue. There's more that could be said, but specifically in the matters of teaching and cursing. But one final thing I cannot leave without saying. Some of you may have noticed that James here in this section seems to be setting an impossibly high bar. This just this call to holiness in speech not only feels high, it is high. He says in this text, you know, man can tame all the reptiles and sea creatures and, and, and birds and beasts, but nobody can tame the tongue. And, and he also says, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. And so when I hear those things, I might be tempted to think, there is no way I can reach a holiness of speech. So what is the good of even trying for it? If you think that, fight that thought off. That misses James's point entirely. A lack of perfection does not mean you cannot make progress. So even if I will never be a perfect swimmer, I can be a better swimmer. In fact, I want to be a better swimmer. You may not fully tame your tongue this side of heaven, but try to tame it anyway. If you're a Christian, if you put faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. And this is his work in you. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is king. He's really king, which means he governs the spinning of the planets, every wave of the ocean, every swaying blade of the grass. Do you not think he could also tame your If all things are in the hands of Jesus, that includes your mouth. So if we want Jesus to begin this process in us, to remove the poison from our lips, we need to change some of the words we speak. That is, we need to make some of the 16,000 words, perhaps even some of today's 16,000 words, into a word of prayer, asking that God would do this work in us. I'll end by suggesting some of the words of Scripture as a prayer from Psalm 141. Verse 3, the psalmist says this, and we join with him. Here's the words. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. 
Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds. Please pray with me. Lord, make this true of us as a community and as individuals who love you and want to follow you. Would you set doors over our mouths that that which we say would be pleasing in your sight and even more than just the door, Lord, would you dig down deep in our hearts to continue to transform us by your grace that what flows out of us in the abundance of our heart would show honor to you. Help us to submit to this with joy. And we ask this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.